I was at a Phil's game, a Phil's game with the family on Monday night. With somebody hooked us up with sweet tickets to the Phil's game. And I don't know if you know about the Phil's game on Monday night, but it was a crazy game. They were playing the Braves, and uh, they were up for uh, most of the game. And then it was like the seventh inning, and the Braves went up by I think uh, three, two or three. And then and Evan. It was awesome because the boys were there and Evan, oh sorry, kids, you can go to junior church. Sorry if I didn't dismiss. And so, um, Evan said to me, he said, um, well, game over. I guess they're not going to win, you know? And I was like, dude, it's like the seventh inning. Like there's innings to go here and we're only down by a few. This can definitely happen. You don't know much about baseball yet. Hang in there, son, you know? And next thing you know, rally, crack, it was a three-run homer, fills go up, right? And everybody flips out. We have this video, and uh, in the video, we're all screaming like, woo, that's baseball, baby! You know, and everybody's screaming and fired up and excited, and uh, Evan's like, we won, there's no way they're coming back. I'm like, check yourself. <laughs> this is not just baseball, it's also the fills. <laughs> And next thing you know, the Braves came back and put it away, poked like three homers in the ninth or whatever, and uh, and it went back down. But everybody was screaming their baseball-loving guts out, and I just, you know, asked you, how do you respond to Jesus is risen from the dead? You're like, yeah, amen. <laughs> you know, for um, for kids, all there is is life. That's all there is. Death is so far away. It's not even a concept that enters the mind. I mean, maybe every now and then a pet dies or something. But for most kids, they don't have to think about death. It's like way, way out there. Something you'd have to explain to them to even get them to understand it. All there is is life. That's it. You know, and there's there's like engaging as much as life as possible. They don't have to worry about creaky bones and gray hair or whatever. They don't think about any of it. They just engage life in its fullness. And then you start to get a little bit older and you get to high school and people start telling you, man, grab a hold of it because it goes fast, you know? And and it's like, well, how do you want me to, like, seriously, did you see high school and the kid, they're grabbing a hold of it, you know? Like, But there's this constant, like, just appreciate it because those of us who start feeling something else start to be like, oh, no. You know, and, and fear creeps into us a little bit. So we speak back to those who don't have fear yet and say, fear a little bit so you enjoy it more. You know, but they're already fully embracing it. You know, but then something happens to each of us. There's this moment where we start to see that something's changing. A couple of years ago, Josh Hostetter, pastor on staff here, affectionately called J-Ho. He and I were at the Ridge Diner. You know where the Ridge Diner is? on 23 and 30 over there. And we're hanging out. Josh, come here for a sec. Calling you out, man. So Josh and I were sitting, we're going to reenact this thing. Okay, we're sitting here at the Ridge Diner. Josh, isn't Josh a specimen? Wonderful man here. And so he, he I was uh, Josh's district mentor um, uh, as he was moving toward ordination, which he's a about to finally nail down in like a month. Everything's completed. We have just a ceremony coming. So we're sitting across each other at this booth at the Ridge, and we're having a good time talking, and we're having some banter going with the waitress there and everything. And then she comes walking over to us, and she's like, man, you guys look like you're having a good time. She, and then she looks at me and looks at him. This is like two years ago. 
She looks at him, looks at me, and she says, he says to me, are you his dad? (laughs) Go sit down, you're grounded. (laughs) It was at that point that I knew that death was inevitable. (laughs) And it was also at that point that I knew that I was knocking on its door. And it was right there. And... You know, it's amazing what happens to us when we start hitting that place where we start to realize, like, I don't see myself the way others see me, and something begins to change, you know, and and the, the clock is ticking, and what ends up happening is, is that we're growing closer to this thing that we call death, and we begin to realize that we are just one of the billions of people who have faced the end. You know, and that there's this waterfall, there's this thing out there that we are approaching. And we know it and, it, and and the reality of it begins to set in a little bit more and it begins to affect our minds. And it begins to affect the way we think. It affects the way we think about the past. It affects the way we think about our futures. It affects the way that we are in the present right now. And it can affect it positively. It can affect it negatively. But it will affect us because we realize, man, there is a reality that I have to begin to face. You know, and that face, that, that reality is that death is a very real and inevitable end for all of us. And that's a that's a slap in the face a little bit. And, and then we start to have to deal with it. You know, our hair changes colors or just disappears. And the shape of our body changes and our skin does weird things. And there's all sorts of changes. You know, when you're a kid and, and you, you hit that certain critical age where your body grows more and your voice changes, that's like growing the right way. And then we start growing the wrong way. And we're like, what do we do with this, you know? And, and in that moment, like, or in, in those moments, you know, just something switches in the way we feel and in the way we think. Now, that's about death. That's about death. But underneath of death, prior to death, the reason that death feels so inevitable and the reason that it's not just the fact that we've seen it happen to everyone, it's that underneath of death is a deeper spiritual reality. Death is a physical reality, but it's the consequences of something else. And what is that something else? Yeah, sin. The wages of sin is death. And so before there's death, there's sin. And the thing is, is in the same way that we feel chained and bound to the reality of physical death, we are chained and bound to the reality of sin. I don't know about you, but I have had moments where that has been a stark, stark awakening for me. So like, you know, I'm, I'm in a conversation with someone and I can hear the conversation going negative. And I, and, and I just sense for both of us, it's not going the right direction or for all of us, it's not going the right direction. And instead of being hopeful and instead of trusting in Christ and instead of dealing honestly and appropriately in this conversation, it's just kind of going downhill. You've been there, right? And it's not a healthy conversation. And you know, like, this conversation should change and we should turn the ship. But I'm like invested in the conversation now. And part of what they're talking about, I'm frustrated about too. And next thing I know, I find myself deeper into this conversation and it's inappropriate and it keeps going further. And it's like, I want to stop it and turn it around, but it's not actually happening. And I feel the inevitability of that conversation going down and down and down. Or maybe it's that behavior, you know? That addictive behavior, that thing that I'm stuck on, you know, that stuff that I look at that I shouldn't look at or that I, I just can't stop going back and back to the, to the, the buffet at Shady Maple, 
Like it just keeps happening, you know, and, um, and, 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 or whatever else it is, like I cannot stop hitting the bottle. It just keeps happening more and more and more and it becomes deeper and deeper, you know, and it's like whatever the thing is that should be just some basic little thing, but it, it owns me, you know? And, and, and then I approach it and I'm getting myself into a situation this day and I know kind of what the tells are of being in the situation where that thing leads me down the wrong path. But I kind of have this feeling, well, I can just go right here and I'll be okay. You know? And then, well, maybe I can just go right here. And each time as I'm justifying, I, I, I know what's happening somewhere inside of my spirit. I know I'm about to fall. But I keep telling myself I'm not going to. But what's happening is that there's a chain around my neck and it's called sin. And it owns me. And then there's these moments. You know the moments when you get up out of bed and you engage your family and uh, your spouse is like, I don't know what happened to you today, you know? Or your kids, like, they're just being the way they always are. But today you don't have the patience for it, you know? Or like your parents, like... They're really trying to love you and help you out, but you're like, I can't stand you, you know, whatever it is. Like, and we know looking at ourselves, I shouldn't be acting this way right now, you know, and I wish I could just flip the switch and change it, but I'm stuck. You've been in that spot where you're like, I want so badly to just be in a better spot and I can't do it. I'm trying to will myself into a better spot right now and I'm just stuck. Welcome to sin. Welcome to humanity. And for all those situations and all of the the situations of our physical aging that are the results of that other part, for the cycle that we get stuck in, for all those things, we need help. We need a rescue. We need somebody else to step into the equation and do something. We need somebody else who can rise above it. Because what what we realize is is that our relationships work and life works when there's selflessness, love. Love. When we love another human being. But here's where this thing really hits. It's when I've given myself on behalf of someone else. And I've tried to invest into them and think about them instead of myself. But what ends up happening is there's a relief valve. There's a ripcord where somewhere I've given so much and they've pushed back so hard or the circumstances are getting so difficult. And I say, forget it. I can't think about anybody else anymore. I got to think about me. And all of a sudden, boom, back into it, right? The vortex, right back in, and we're selfish again. And so what we need to break the cycle is somehow there has to be someone who can look at this stuff, who can step into the mess. Our whole series through Lent has been love is messy because we realize not only do we live in this mess, we are the mess. And so love has to get in there and somehow rise above it. And it has to say, I will give myself entirely to the well-being of all these other people to break the cycle. When everyone's stuck in this cycle, just like death, everyone ages and everyone dies, everyone's selfish and everyone thinks of themselves, there has to be someone who enters in the mess but doesn't think about themselves, who only thinks about others, who by their very nature is not inward but is out here, focused on saving the day. So what Jesus does is he walks up to death and he walks up to sin and he stares it in the face and he turns his chin like this and he says, give me your best shot. Give me everything you've got. Give me all the selfishness of humanity and have them strike me in the face and have them tear my flesh and have them mock me as a king even though I am. 
and have them nail me to a cross and have the thieves on either side mock me and have everyone else abandon me and reject me and leave me alone. Hit me with your best shot. Throw me down. Kick me. Toss me into a tomb and roll a stone in front of it and leave me there. And three days later, I'll step out of it like the deception it is and I'll walk over it. And I'll look at it and never look at it again because it's over. It's finished. Someone came and broke the cycle. Someone won the day. Someone decided that they could be selfless and they could love not just here, not just now, not just for a few years, but for all of eternity. So strong, so profound was his love that not only did it conquer sin, but the consequences of sin, death, because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And today we celebrate one reality that changes it all. Not just that Jesus loved, not just that Jesus did miracles, not just that his teaching still speaks to us today, not all of that, but we celebrate one thing today, that all the battle, all the war came around one thing where the enemy threw all its darkness and put him in that grave. And today he said, I'm going to win this thing once and for all for everyone. I'm going to conquer. And so today we celebrate one thing, Christ is risen. Thank you. Mark, chapter 16. Turn there, please. I want you to stand with me as I read this passage of Scripture, please. Mark 16, 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Listen to this phrase right here. I love this phrase. It was very large. I love that clarification. Like this stone was no joke. Like, you can't roll it away, okay? Clarification. Verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Notice that he, he, he gives the current reality of who this guy is. This is not just God. This is Jesus from this town, Nazareth, where we can still go and visit today, who was crucified. And here, of course, is the phrase. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. (laughs) Love that. That he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for they were trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. May God add rich blessings to the reading of his word. You can have a seat. Pray with me for a sec, please. God, I thank you for uh, this moment. I thank you for this day. I thank you for all that it means. We thank you, especially that you're here, that you're not in a tomb, that you're not just absent, that you're here. God, help us to be with you in the same way that you're with us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So here's the thing. If you have your Bible in front of you, you will uh, realize that most of your Bibles, when you get to verse 8, there's this thing that says verse 9 to 20 of Mark 16 is not found in the earliest manuscripts of Scripture. 
Anybody have that? Can you see it? If you have your Bible in front of you. Some Bibles don't even have 9 to 16 in it anymore. They don't even have it. Okay, so here's the thing is that depending on when you go, they, they go back and try to find the most original scripts that they can in order to translate the Bible from, you know, and some of the scripts have this thing from nine to 16. And then when they, the earliest ones they have, though, don't have those last verses, nine to 16. Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of scholars are just like, there's, those aren't Bible. Those are added afterwards. And that can kind of freak us out a little bit. Like, wait a minute, is that, like, what's, does that mess with my Bible or whatever? Well, a few things about that that are important, and I'm getting to a point here, so you'll understand why. Um, there, there's a few things that are important to know. There's almost nothing in verse 9 to 16, or 9 to 20 there that, um, that isn't found in other places in the scripture anyway. So, it, I mean, you, you experience all, you get all that information from other, um, books. There's one part in there that's actually really weird. You know, um, and if you read that at some point, you'll you'll see where it is that the, the that the sign of being a disciple of Jesus is that you can handle snakes and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, um, anyway, that that text nine to six, nine to 20. Um, assume with me for a second that that's not actually in the original. I actually think that the evidence probably is there that it wasn't in the original or that whatever was in the original might have been lost. And that doesn't freak us out. We God's much bigger than all of that, and we trust him to give us the Bible that is the true Bible. Now, if it ends at verse 8 there, this is, real, this is why this is a big deal. Then it means that all of you who have gone through Lent, maybe you've uh, been uh, walking with us through Reliving the Passion, the devotional of Walter Wangren that we've all been reading, or maybe you've been in your triad discussing the stories of Mark. We've all been going through Mark. Maybe you've been in the Sunday school or in uh, you know uh, uh, that discussion group where you've been processing these uh, chapters and you've been processing the whole story of Lent. And so now here is the grand conclusion. And this is how it all ends. The whole gospel of Mark, the entire thing. Here's the last verse of eight to the end. Okay. It says, and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. That's the end of the gospel. Really? That's the end of the gospel. They were afraid. They were trembling. So they left and said nothing to no one. And what was the one command that they had received from that person who was there in the tomb telling them that Jesus was risen? One command. Go tell the disciples and Peter that he's risen and to go meet him in Galilee. They had one job after the resurrection, one job, to go and tell him. And they're afraid and they don't tell, which is just so indicting and indicative of ourselves, right? And... um it leaves us hanging. Shirley Elliott came up to me after the first service and she said something hilarious to me. She was like, Tim, the whole time you were talking, I kept wishing that you would say, when's the last time you saw a bunch of ladies who wouldn't talk? And I was like, are you trying to get me killed? What are you talking about? And she said, well, at least at second service, you can say that I said it. So there it is. I mean, the funny thing is, is here these ladies are and they have news that no one else has. And they won't say a word, even though they were told to say it. It's crazy. Why would they not talk? But they're scared to death. Scared to death. Why? See, this is the point. This is the cliffhanger. This is why it leaves us hanging. The implications of the resurrection and what it means in our lives. Can we handle it? And what will we do with it? That's the real question. It's like a dissonant chord or an unresolved chord. 
I should have these guys go over and play again and play the whole song and at the end not finish it with the last chord. And we'd all be like, uh, uh, uh. You know, you got to hit that last chord to resolve it. And the book of Mark, if you stop at verse 8, it just leaves you hanging. And the whole point is, you are the resolve. This story doesn't resolve until it moves into you. Until you take it. And the resurrection becomes something valuable to you. See, this, this holiday right here can be a religious holiday. It's a thing where all, all over the globe, what happens on, on this holiday is that there are people who are Christians, people who are, are part of Christian faith, who uh, ascribe to Christian doctrine, but don't have a living dynamic relationship with Jesus where he changes their life and where they've come awake, you know, and yet we celebrate Easter because that's what you do, you know, and that's a religious holiday that's checking the box and that's celebrating Easter. But when resurrection gets a hold of your life, that's what they were afraid of when they saw the empty tomb. They didn't have Christianity. They didn't have a religion. It wasn't about any of that. It was about what does this actually mean that this inevitability of death, the inevitability that chain around my throat of sin might actually be broken. What does that mean? And they're trembling with fear. Have you ever had someone tell you about something that happened in their life that was miraculous and you had a really hard time receiving it? Or being joyful about it. Ever had that? Where somebody's telling you, you never believe what happened and they're telling the story and you're like, somewhere deep inside of you, you're kind of skeptical. Or if you're not skeptical, you're at least like having a hard time being joyful with them and engaging in that, you know, because that was kind of their story and you have a hard time getting into it. You know what I mean? Don't act like you don't know. You're doing it to me right now. Don't leave me hanging. You're like, that's Tim's deal. Yeah, not mine. Leaving us out to dry. So often... We have a hard time engaging. Once we get information that could actually be awesome, we have a hard time letting it be awesome to us. We have a hard time. We're, we're hardened. We have a hard time believing. Why? Because we actually take comfort in death. You know that? Why do we take comfort in death? Because it's a reality. And so we have this many years probably or something like it and we try to shape our lives around that. If all I know is all I can see, then all I have to factor into my decisions is what I know and what I can see. What if all of that's blown out of the water and what we see isn't reality, but there's something so much bigger, it means that I'm no longer in control. It means that what I see isn't the story and I have to trust something else. And it disrupts my life. Have you ever um, had uh, one of those situations where you're just kind of going through life and then something happens and it changes all your plans? The first time that happened to me, I was just a kid. And I was playing in like peewee basketball or whatever. And we had a good season going. And I was all excited about the season and what was happening. And, uh, but I was at Boy Scouts and I went to Scouts that, that night. And, I was, and we were all playing floor hockey in Scouts that night. And I went to swing at a ball. My buddy went to swing at a ball. His stick comes up, cracks my thumb, pop, and it goes right sideways. And I'm looking at my thumb, and it's going that way. And I'm like, ouch. And then the next thing I thought, next thought was, I have a game tomorrow. You know? And I'm like, I was like, what happened to my season? I was so excited. The thing I was really excited about was, the, was my season. But this broken thumb changes it, you know? But, you know, how many times have I had an injury since then where it was like, I thought I was going to work tomorrow? No, you know, I was planning on doing this. No, or, or when we find out that someone's really ill and whatever we were planning on just changed, you know, there's the flip side of this thing. There's the positive 
sides of it. And that's like, you know, I was just kind of waltzing through life and then something changed it. Like I went and talked to that special someone and they told me they were into me too. Wow, game changer. This could actually work, you know? Now my life's about to change. We're going to engage in this relationship and it changes everything, you know? The negative side is like what happens when you remember where you were when 9-11 happened and you remember asking like, how's this going to change my reality? But do you also remember when you got that job or when you found out you were pregnant or whatever the big news is where you're like, game changer, everything that I was about is going to change. And what happens with the resurrection is if we will engage this story beyond just being a story, if we will engage this holiday beyond being a religious celebration, if we will engage it in the sense that Christ is risen and he is here today and he breaks the chains of sin and death, it disrupts my life if I will actually believe it. But it's hard to engage. It's hard to believe in the reality of it because it means that I have to let go. It means that I'm either a follower and a worshiper or I'm a vapor, I'm a lie (laughs) because he's in charge. You know, it means I'm a child of the king or I'm apostate. It lays it out for me, you know? It says I either trust that he's risen or I don't. I either live in this reality and call this a false reality or I live in the reality of the kingdom of God. You know, I have to I have to figure out where I'm at. And so it's very easy to stay inside of this reality, thinking the thoughts that I have now. And so the question really for us today is this. It's not about how much we celebrate today. It's about what the resurrection means when we leave today. How does it affect my afternoon? How does it affect my family gathering? The fact that Jesus rose from the dead and has conquered sin and death, how does that change the way I engage lunch today? How does that change the way I pursue my life over the next year? If it doesn't engage that, if it doesn't change that, then we're practicing a religious holiday, but we're not living in the reality of resurrection. Resurrection means that it's all changed. It means that the chains are broken, that we have been set free. Okay, so uh, often I will take my boys to school or to the bus stop. When I take my boys to the school to school or to the bus stop, before they get out of the, the car, I'll say to them, this is what I'll say to them, I'll say, who are you? And they'll respond. And in first service, they were sitting right here. Now they're at junior church. And I, and I asked them, first service, I said, who are you? And Evan responded, I'm a deering. And I was like, yes, you're a deering. You know what that means? That means you're not alone. It means when you go to school today, you don't just represent you You represent us. And it means when you go to school today, you don't go alone that I'm with you. And that my blood runs through your veins. You know, my DNA is in you. And you are not just your own. You are also ours. You're with us. And we are with you. That's a big deal, buddy. Remember that today. And then I ask a second question. I say, whose are you? Little Colton says, I'm God's. I say, yeah. You are not your own. You're a child of the king. When you go to school today, I don't care what happens. You can rise above it. I don't care what they try to get you to do you shouldn't do. You have the power to say no. That when everyone else is sad or something goes bad, you can have joy. You know why? Because you're a child of the king. Because your daddy conquered sin and he conquered death. And your big brother rose from the grave. And today, whatever the reality is, know that the spiritual DNA of Jesus resides in you if you trust him.
And the power of the resurrection is available to you today. So whatever that pattern of behavior is that we're experiencing, it doesn't have to be inevitable. That that conversation that's going downhill, that bad day that I'm having, you know, all that stuff that's going on, that addictive behavior, it doesn't have to end that way. And the false belief system is that I can't get past it. The truth is this, that I can get on my knees today and I can say, I am a broken sinner and I am a mess, but you rose from the dead and you conquered this stuff and I'm not going to believe the lie anymore. And you stepped out of that grave and said it was a lie. Help me to step out of the grave of my life by your power and believe that it's not a lie, that the, that the sin's a lie, but that the resurrection's not a lie. So there's this awesome thing that happens. Well, but before I even go there, you know, we were... We were praying before the service, uh, Josh and Josh and I, my son, Josh, and my co-pastor, Josh, and <laughs> we were praying for the service, and uh, I was uh, trying to get this mic on, so I took my jacket off, and when I went to hang it on the chair, I heard something crumple in it, and so I reached into my pocket to see what it, what it was, and this leaflet was in there, and it was from a funeral, and it was um, Wendy Kiefer's funeral. And those of you who know Wendy, you know, Wendy um, passed away just after Christmas this year. And it was a really sad loss for a single mom in her 40s, you know. And, um, and I looked at that, and all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks, and my heart squeezed. And I was like, oh, man, you know. And then God was like, what are you, what are you weeping about? What are you moaning about? Do you realize she's sitting on my lap right now? Like, do you realize that death is not something to be feared anymore? That I conquered death by bringing eternal life. That I destroyed sin by instead of guilt, there is justice satisfied by my sacrifice. That instead of shame, there is a robe of righteousness over you. It's all over. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. And the only thing they have left is this moment where he tells them. He says, go to Galilee. Do you want to see Jesus? Go to Galilee. See, here's the thing, is that um, the coolest part of Easter is not just that the chains are broken off of me or that I don't have to fear death. The coolest part is that Jesus is actually alive, you know? Because for them, they were in deep grief because Jesus was gone. But it turns out he's still around and they could still engage him. And so this is why when he says, do you want to see him, then go to Galilee. And Galilee, you know what Galilee was for them? It was home. That's what it was. In other words, you don't have to go to the other side of the world to see, you know, the underground church in China to see God moving. You don't have to go to South Korea to see the big revivals there to see God moving. You don't have to go to Uganda where people have been raised from the dead to see something amazing happen. All you have to do is go home and say, God, I believe that the resurrection changes my relationship with my family and watch God work and say Jesus is alive, you know. And so he tells him to go home. And so this is our call today. This is this is what's asked of us is to believe it and to receive it. Um, my first date with Jen. Yeah. My first date with Jen was in uh, Lancaster area. And I met her in Chicago at school. And uh, we were coming home for Christmas break. And I, and I was, you know, coming back here and she was going there um, to Lancaster. And I said, you want to get together and go out and... Uh, she said, yeah, that'd be fun, which blew me away. I was pretty stoked because I remember her meeting her five times before that, and she doesn't remember meeting me any of those times. <laughs> She's God's tool of humility in my life. 
And, um, and so when I remember when uh, I, I went over to her parents' house to pick her up, and she was still upstairs getting ready, and, uh, and I'm downstairs hanging out with her dad, you know? And I'm just like, oh, man. You know, and it's that moment. You know the moment I'm talking about, right? Kind of like shaking about it a little bit. And then she comes down the stairs, and the nerves did not get better at that point. They went up, you know. She looked really good, and I was excited to go out. And we went out, and we're hanging out. And at first, it was super awkward, like, hey, how are you, you know? And then next thing you know, like, we're talking more, and we're joking around. And pretty soon, it loosens up, and we're having a great time, and I'm having the time of my life. And it reminds me of, of like, when this happens to me. This is actually, I should have started this story first and go into that one because this is going downhill, not uphill from there. Um, seriously, it's going downhill, not uphill, babe. And, um, but anytime that um, there's a hurricane in Jersey, big waves come. And for me, that means that I go surfing. And every time, no matter how many times I've done it, when I see big, angry ocean, I still get scared. And yet... Eventually, I'm like, I'm going in, I'm going in. And I get in there, and next thing you know, I'm riding a big wave. And when I'm riding a big wave, no fear anymore, just joy. You know, it's like heaven. It's awesome. And what goes on for us when it comes to resurrection is that there's this whisper to us, that there's this historical Jesus who lived in Nazareth 2,000 years ago, who died on a Roman cross and rose from the dead. And there's all sorts of historical evidence that would lead us in that direction. And we can sit there and look at that and say that's nice and kind of walk away with it. But what it's daring us to do is to go out on the date. What it's daring us to do is step into the waves, to believe in a reality because of resurrection that changes the game. And at first, if I stay on the outside of it and look at it and be like, wouldn't that be cool? You know, wouldn't it be cool if we had that kind of power? Wouldn't it be cool if we had that kind of life? You know, but we don't experience it. And then he whispers to us. And he says, come to Galilee and believe, you know, engage, engage. So how about you? Are you afraid to engage it? They were at first, but then they weren't. And once they weren't, it was awesome. Don't be afraid. Be free. Be free. He set you free. And him who the son has set free is free indeed. Be free today. Be free to engage. Whatever you do for lunch today, God has a plan for it. Don't back out of it. Dive into it. Whoever he wants you to tell the gospel to, don't be afraid to speak it. Tell him. He'll show up. When you open up your Bible and you're scared to because you think he won't be alive and speaking to you through it, don't believe that lie. He's alive. He will be there in the Bible. He will be there when you share your faith. He will be there when you do what he's asked you to do. He'll show up every time. Test him. Go to Galilee. You'll see him. I promise. Just go. Engage. He'll be there. Christ is risen.